Um, what I wanted to share with you is really this concept of coming down the mountain well. Um, we have had such a good time together. I mean, there's such a sense of privilege. Everyone um, at, a, at a meeting like this, it's just, I mean, imagine if this was your local church. It would be, it, yeah, I mean, imagine that as soon as a, a note is played, everyone is just going for it, singing joyously. Let's pray for different church plants and people don't stare at you like you're nuts. They just jump into it hands on, you know, let's, let's, let's just trust God for some prophetic words. There's like a line around the block like that. You say the hardest possible things you could ever say. And people are like, glory, amen. That, yes, hurt us, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's intoxicating being in an environment like this as a leader, especially when it's hard back home. And uh, now we prepare to leave our time together. We prepare to spread out. I mean, we're literally from Tokyo to Nepal to South Africa. I mean, it's insane what is about to happen, what's about to happen with us. And I really want to help us think through how do we leave this mountaintop well. Um, let me read you a passage that you're familiar with, uh, but I'm going to connect two passages together that I feel like sometimes get separated from each other, and I don't think they should. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read from the ESV. Um, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he, he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This is like what this is this this is his first glimpse of what of what John later gets in Revelation, right? And and, and behold, there appeared to them, if it wasn't good enough that Jesus has just had a metamorphosis and is glowing like the sun, Moses and Elijah show up and they're talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Bless his heart. He just can't help himself. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I mean, Peter's not even worried about his own tent. He's just going to sleep on the ground. It's just, let me help out here. And at, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, well, why did the, the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. The disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came, uh, to, the, to, the, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, Lord, he said, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. He suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered him, answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? 
How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So um, in this incredible two stories combined, I think we see four powerful things um, that, that really um, can help us come down the mountain well. Those four things that we're gonna get into are, God wants us to go up the mountain, right? Um, we're not meant to stay up the mountain. There's good reasons for coming down the mountain and lastly, um, uh, some practical ways that we can come down the mountains maybe a little bit better than the disciples did, okay? Um, let's first look at um, God wants us to go up the mountain. We see this in verses one. Uh, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother um, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became bright as white. Uh, here, here's the thing is, it was Jesus's idea. Like we read the story and we think, oh yeah, Peter's an idiot. But like the reality was going up the mountain was not Peter's idea. It was Jesus's idea. Jesus initiated it. Jesus took them and led them. He did this. And I think it's good for us just to, just to realize before we get into some of the more negative things that God wants us to go up the mountain. And not only does God want us to do this, God knows we need this. And God loves to show off as it were and to just blow our minds. Like in moments like this, God loves to come and just show us himself. It just shows a bigger picture of himself. How many of us know that statistically ministry is kind of hard, right? In America, it's, it's almost as dangerous as being a crab fisherman in Alaska. Literally, right? Peter Drucker says that, that being a pastor, being a ministry in America is, he rates it as the third most dangerous job in the country. Because if you start looking at the statistics of suicide and, and, and strokes from stress and heart attacks and all these things, this is quite a dangerous thing that we're involved in. Ministry's hard. Paul said he felt like he'd received the sentence of death. Frankly, guys, our churches need us to be part of something like this. This is why we think partnership's such a, a big, a, 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 a very important idea. We're, we're not ashamed to talk about the value of partnership. And we recognize that not every church is going to feel like partnership with advance is a good thing. But we, we would think you would be literally crazy to then not go partner with anyone every, anywhere. That's, that's just nuts, right? It, it's a bit like we, we would say to people in our church back home, you know, why should I be part of this church? And, you know, show me membership in the Bible. We'll, say, we'll, we'll show you a, a lion that encircles people that are by themselves to eat them. That's a pretty good idea, right? That's a pretty good reason to want to be together. The fact is that lone rangers are dead, dead rangers and lone rangers are dangerous rangers. And I would say the same is true with churches. It's, it's dangerous to be by yourself. It's not, it's not smart to be by yourself. I was sitting in a room of pastors and um, a statistic was shared. I mean, there's, you know, statistics for everything, but... The statistic was basically, you know, one in three pastors uh, will fail morally or, you know, shipwreck and explode or implode or something. And then the guy who shared that statistic said, okay, so there's 12 of us in the room, right? So what does that mean? Four of us, four of the people sitting in this room are not going to make it. I was like, 
wow, that's a whole new, so you're looking around the room and then, and then they got us to get up and why don't you write on the board what makes you different, why you're gonna be an exception? Why are you gonna be not be one of the four? It was pretty pathetic that how, how little we had ever thought about this. How are we not gonna be a statistic, right? Partnering together is, is it's crazy to do it all, all by yourself. We don't stand a chance, right? And so um, our church needs us to be part of this. We need to be part of stuff like this. And frankly, mountaintop moments like we've had the last couple of days can be really helpful for us. They, they get our heads out of all the mess. They deal with things that are just going on under the surface. I mean, that's part of the benefit really of this prophetic stuff is that it, it, it helps bring to light things that you didn't even know you were feeling and thinking until somebody said it, you know? When we go up the mountain together, look at what happens. I mean, we see Jesus like we've never seen him before. He was transfigured before them. I mean, they thought Jesus was great before, but I mean, my gosh, look what they're seeing now. We, they saw something of Jesus they'd never seen and they heard just this de declaration from heaven. This is my son. So when we go up the mountain together, we see and we hear just things that, that just, just lift our heads and Gosh, Jesus is amazing. He's more amazing than I ever thought he was. This, this concept that, you know, that, that, got, that got popularized a few years ago, Jesus is my homeboy, you know? Like Jesus is some peer or some coach. I mean, even if you, you say that you would, you know, emphatically disagree with that, it's funny how all of us drift to that way of thinking where Jesus becomes a voice like voices on Twitter or podcasts or something else. But in moments like this, we're like, no, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. His name is above all names. We get to see that and feel that. And we remember that Jesus is better than anyone. I mean, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets here, you know, this is incredible. They don't hold a candle to the Son of God. And in a world where our identities are shaped by our Twitter followers and stuff like that, I mean, it's so good to be silenced really in godly, helpful ways reminded to listen to Jesus. And we do this together. We have these incredible shared experiences together. That's all good. In fact, it's so good that most of us have probably spent quite a bit of time this last week thinking, I wish so-and-so was here. Man, they got to come next time. So good that we just, we just think about an endless list of people we wish were in the room. It's good to be together. Peter's not wrong. It was good. So what was wrong? Well, we can love being together so much that it becomes really all that we think about. We find ourselves planning and attending endless conferences just for the sake of being together at a conference. And I don't necessarily think that's what Jesus wants. I mean, we, we see in Peter here, I mean, frankly, more motivation than we've ever seen out of this guy. I mean, if, he is super motivated. They climbed a, quote, high mountain. I did that one time. Um, I didn't climb back down it because I was on oxygen because that messed me up. And I'm not climbing any more high mountains. God bless you guys. I want to come visit you in Nepal, but I'm going to be on a plane or a chopper or something. Like I'm not, I can't do it. it. Ain't for me. And here you got Peter. He climbs this high mountain. He climbs this thing, and, and here's this guy volunteering to build tents. Now, the word there can mean a couple different things. At a very basic level, he's going to need a bunch of animal skins and a bunch of chopped wood. So Peter's like, I am willing to go either run around, hunt, and kill a bunch of animals and skin them, which 
not to gross you out. I've done it a lot. It's, it's hard work what he's recommending here. Or I'm going to run down this high mountain to the bottom of it, get a whole bunch of materials, and then carry them up in multiple trips so that I can build. I mean, he is, he is volunteering. This is the guy who, when he first met Jesus, he was not even willing to put down his nets one more time. This is like the most motivation we've ever seen out of this guy. And frankly, we get really motivated by this, the, the idea of staying in a moment like this. It's invigorating and it causes us to be willing to do whatever it takes to just do this again all the time, right? So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, with, with what, 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 what Peter's logically working out in his head? Okay, it's good that we're here. So A plus B equals C. So it's good that we're here. So plus, you know, um, life's really hard. So equals C. Let's try to stay here for as long as possible. I think God does not want us to try to stay up the mountain. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when. I love that phrase. Like that is like the most amazing thing ever. Peter is not even allowed to finish this sentence. I mean, he's excited. Peter's excited. This, 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 he just can't, he can't contain himself. We've finally arrived. This is the destination. I mean, this is amazing what's happening. It was a good thing. It's great. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I, I think, you know, Peter was thinking about staying up there. I think maybe, maybe he had just a, a sudden case of amnesia about all the things that Jesus had said before. He forgot everything that Jesus had been saying and doing. And he just, he just thought this is the purpose of life is to be up this mountain with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus and a couple of buddies, right? He, he just had just amnesia. Maybe his memory was working actually in superdrive, and what he was remembering was what had happened already, according to Matthew's gospel. Countless crowds and problems and people clawing at Jesus and crying out for food and Pharisees and Sadducees bickering at every turn. Maybe his memory was working really good. He was like, yep, this is better than that. So he jumps in with this incredible initiative and what God responds is, 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 is he's correcting. And, and, and what I want us to see is that while going up the, the mountain's good, staying up the mountain's bad. Staying up the mountain, I mean, it's a safe, it's a safe thing to do. I mean, gosh, we all, you know, we, we, we've heard about uh, Andrew Wilson talk about um, controversy. That's the real way to say it. <laughs> America. I mean, most of us didn't even know what he was talking about for the first 10 minutes. But there's very little of that here. I mean, look at how we agree on so much stuff. High five. We all, we're all agreeing on the same thing. This is great. It's safe. Everybody's just like us. None of that junk that we have to deal with all the time cynical, divisive people looking to trap us in some spiritual test. Nobody waiting at the bottom of the, of the state, I hope. Nobody waiting at the bottom. Well, let me show you the full counsel of God. Have, we looked at, have you looked at Daniel? Let me show you this and that. And let me show you a chart. And I mean, there's none of that stuff. Like, that's just what I deal with back home. Um, yeah, and we had a raccoon last week, which is... He's actually been the, the, the least troubling member of our church. I mean, <laughs> nobody even knew he was there. It was great. 
when I think about what lies at the bottom of the mountain for me, and I, as I shared that with you, honestly, I got to be honest, I want to stay here. I don't want to get in my truck and drive home. Because I know the chats that are coming for me. I know how they're robed in all kinds of lies and manipulation. And I know, I know what's waiting for me. I'd rather stay here with you guys. I mean, covenant life's been so great. Why don't we just stay here? Let's talk to that hotel down the road and see if they're willing to just keep us. (laughs) We agree on what matters. I mean, none of us have any sin problems, so... I, I like, too, that I get to be kind of one of the guys. I'm just one of the guys. I don't have to be the guy. I can just be one of the guys. It's great. It's awesome. Up the mountain, there's not any naysayers. There's no cynics. It's just brothers and sisters. Isn't that what God wants? He says when we're in unity, commands of blessing. So good. But as we go on to read, we find there's, there are really good reasons for coming down the mountain. we read earlier, um, at the bottom of this mountain was a little boy. We don't know how old he was, but um, he had this demon who ruined his life. And this little boy needed Jesus. As a dad, I can't even imagine a worse scenario. I mean, his dad falls at Jesus' feet, begging him. My little, my boy has got these terrible seizures, Jesus. He falls into a fire, fires and water often. I mean, just parents here, if your kid fell with a, had a seizure and fell into the water once, imagine that. If, you're, if your child had a seizure and fell into a fire once, imagine that. And he says, it's, he's often fallen into the fire. He's often fallen into the water. And I think in their world, there might not have been two worst nightmares that a parent could have had child dealing with seizures like this. What if he fell in the fire? What if he fell in the water? And he's doing it all the time. Often. This boy who would have had physical scars from being burned again and again. Layers of scars. And the emotional scars of many near drownings. I almost drowned one time. I spearfish and Sometimes that's with a scuba tank with air, and sometimes it's just hold my breath, go down, stay as long as I can kind of thing. And um, Actually, the tank is more dangerous than the other. It sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, lots of things go wrong when you have all this equipment. And um, we were in 147 feet of water, which is kind of down there, and uh, 30 miles offshore, and me and my, one of my best friends, and um, we got kind of greedy. Um, we were shooting just really, we just were kind of, we found it, and we, we were in some really big fish. Both had a really big grouper, um, and there was just a series of events that transpired. You know, um, there was a lot of uh, sharks that are, are very docile. These sharks are very docile. They're like puppies, but when you get a whole bunch of them together, you know, they can, the, the mood can change, and so that had happened a bit, and we were busy working with that, you know, keeping those sharks off of us, and um, there was a scenario, that, like the, the point is that in, in the process of looking for more fish and poking sharks and all that stuff, I did the unthinkable when you're diving. I forgot to like really keep a good eye on my, my air. And, um, you know, if you know anything about diving, you know, most people's 
certification takes them to 60-ish feet. Uh, and then you can push past that and get certifications, you know, you know, where you can dive deeper than that with you know, enriched air and all the things, but it gets much dangerous. In fact, past 100 feet, it's, it's actually, it's, it's really dangerous. There's just so many things that can go wrong. And so there's, if we were just diving around together, it would have been dangerous. Um, but we just added all these variables and I just, just did what I shouldn't have done. I stopped thinking about this. And um, when I realized I was out of air, it was really, it was too late. Um, and I managed to get the attention of my friend. Long story short, uh, on the way back, we were trying to go up, but you can't go up too fast because there's all kinds of other problems. And so we were doing this buddy breathing thing, which we've all been trained to do, which is he, we're sharing air back and forth. Um, and, and the way it worked was his, his, his alternative air supply had gotten stuck behind his back. And so we were breathing off the, this main supply so that he'd take a breath and pass it to me. And, and well, I'll get into the details. You know, all this was just building anxiety. I was reading and telling I could still 90 feet down and 80 feet and 70 feet. And I'm breathing like hyperventilating. And to the point where I, I just suddenly realized, man, I'm going to kill this guy at this rate. I'm going to breathe out all his air and we're both going to die. And so just in a moment, I pushed off of him and I just shot to the surface and I just kicked as hard as I could. My mouth burst open. It's funny, your mouth wants to, it wants to breathe so bad it doesn't care if it takes in water or air or not. And I just sucked in water like crazy, just the whole way up. I just remember just these little baby sips of water and just, I mean, it's just crazy, like, all I could think about was my, like, we only had one son at the time. All I could think about was Jed. I just kept thinking, I just kept kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking. And I made it to the top. And um, the point is that that has like scarred me for life. Now I still dive, but I mean, I'd be lying to you if I tell you I'm over that. Every time I get in the water, if I go underwater in a pool, I think about it. I mean, I'm diving sometimes three or four times a week in the summer. It's just, I'm having to psych myself up for this. I'm imagining this little boy falling into the water often with a seizure. I mean, almost drowning all the time. It's just terrifying as a dad to think about this. I got two little boys, five and two, and man, the thought of this is gut-wrenching. And if I'm putting myself in this dad's shoes and I'm a mad, what if I was the dad at the bottom with this kid? And what if I had such good hearing, I could hear all the way up this mountain and I could hear Jesus, the son of God, who could fix my problem, who could heal my son in a conversation with his disciples about should we stay up here or not? It's gut-wrenching. The thought that Jesus would stay up the mountain with his friends instead of coming down and healing my son. This is what Peter has suggested. And this is what Peter had called good. It's good that we stay up here. Peter had seen Jesus preach to multitudes, heard the Sermon on the Mount in person, Watch Jesus heal lepers, the servant of the centurion, many other people, including demon-possessed people, paralytics, blind, mute, cripples, a girl who had died, seen Jesus calm a storm. And Jesus thought that what everyone in the world needed was him and Jesus and a couple buddies up a mountain camping. For many of us back home, there are lots of people, for all of us back home, there are lots of people who really need Jesus. And we have seen God even here this week do miracles in our lives and the lives of others. And I love our time together, but the purpose of, of, of us being together are not so that we can stay here, but so that we can be built up and strengthened and reminded of how good God is and that we're not alone so we can go back out together and make much of Jesus. So how do we come down the mountain well? We come down the mountain full of faith 
in God for the mission. That's how we come down the mountain well, right? Um, by the way, you can apply what we're about to talk about at all kinds of levels. It can't, it's not just conferences. It could be sabbaticals. It could be your vacations. It could be quiet times for you or people in your church um, who, who are having this encounter with Jesus in the morning and then not wanting to go to work or school. Um, church meetings, this is very common for folks in our church. This feeling of coming up the mountain on Sunday morning or Wednesday night and not wanting to leave, not wanting to go out. Anything that can become a mountaintop, right? People deal with this stuff all the time. We are in hostile territories, we've heard this week. There's sin and there's difficulty all around us. Our people love Sunday mornings. They love community groups because it's like a refuge for them. This is it's where the idea came that the church is a hospital. Let's just go there and hang out. But it's, it's, of course, it's not a hospital. I mean, it has a hospital. If it doesn't have a hospital, that's bad. If it's not a place for people to get better, that's bad, right? But it's not just a hospital, and so this can help you and me as we teach people, disciple people to love the mountaintop moments of Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but not to be sluggish about coming down the mountain with, full of faith and with eyes wide open. We, we, we want to run down the mountain back to where people still need Jesus, right? Who haven't seen him yet. So I, I think just to, to go through this, I think we come down the mountain full of faith. This is, this is Jesus' real problem with the whole situation is this, this, this faithlessness or this little faith that he references in, in verses 16 through 20. You could say to this mountain, move. It's power, powerful imagery by itself. But imagine you've just come down a high mountain. Jesus says, you can come down. You could tell this mountain, move. I mean, it's just amazing imagery. Jesus was disappointed in the faith of his disciples. What had they been putting faith in if it wasn't him? Themselves? I don't know. But I think in this, and some of this you guys already know, but just a reminder, this wasn't necessarily a call to have massive faith. Although we should be growing in faith and it should be building and growing in us and it should get bigger and bigger as we, like Sarah, look back and go, wow, this God's faithful. He can do this, he can do this, he can do this. Why don't we try this? Because this God's so good. He could. Do, I mean, our faith should be growing, but this wasn't necessarily a call to, to massive faith. It wasn't the, the size of the faith. He wasn't just saying, why can't your faith be bigger? Jesus was saying, why can't your little tiny faith be in me? He wasn't just saying, why can't your faith be bigger? Come on. He was saying, hey, you could have the smallest faith in the world, like a mustard seed. If it was in me, wouldn't, if you could do anything. Why can't, if you're going to have little faith, at least have it in me. Why, why can't you put that little faith in me? What, what have you not seen so far that would make you want to put that faith in me? And so like the disciples, we've seen a bigger picture of Jesus together. Our faith has gotten bigger or the little faith we have has been realigned and put back on Jesus. And this is good for us to come down the mountain, right? We come down the mountain with that. And at the bottom of the mountain are people who need us to have faith in Jesus. Now we've heard a lot of great teaching, a lot of practical stuff. And, and those things we want to hold on to and, and put into practice. But our faith is not in those things. Our faith is in Jesus, right? That's our faith is in him. And so our, our people don't know, need us coming back with a couple new tricks and insights. No, they need us doing all those things in faith in the God who can do the impossible, right? What else? Well, I think that the disciples came down a bit caught off guard. Now, I don't know why they would have been caught off guard because everywhere they went with Jesus, there was stuff like this happening. But somehow they came down the mountain with a, with a bit of like, you know, expecting it was going to be something different than it was. I, I think that you and I, in this moment, we can go, hey, we know it's at the bottom of the mountain. Craziness. 
Crazy people, people be crazy, right? Church people be crazy. We, we know what's at the bottom of the mountain and we can just, we can, we can either kind of be drugged down the mountain. Oh, I have to go. I guess I have to go. Covenant life locked the doors and won't let me stay. And we can do that or we can say, man, I'm gonna, I wanna run down the mountain with faith in Jesus, eyes wide open, like here, here I come, you know? Um, and so I think that we can do that. So I, I wanna just take a second and give you just some tips that I've found um, helpful if you do them in faith and engaging people around you who aren't yet Christ followers. Things that I think would have been helpful things for the disciples to, to, to think about. Um, and I would just encourage you to think of these as handles that you can use and things you can use to help coach other people. I think we come down the mountain full of faith, but, but in that, we're, I think the, one of the first things we can do is really just be present. Be present. That's just looking around you. That's just guarding against distraction when you're with people who need Jesus. Just be present. I think there's three places we look that are unhelpful. I think we look back. Oh, that conference was great. That conference was great. And meanwhile, there's people all around us who, that conference was great. That conference was great. That's looking back. That's not helping anybody in front of us. I think another thing we do is we look down. You know, it's amazing. If you walk into a grocery store or walk anywhere and you just see people walking around with their phone in their hand. You know, it's really hard to reach people when you're staring at your phone the whole time. So another way we do this is we, we look too far ahead. We can't see the people in front of us because we're thinking about that. I, I, kinda, I wonder if that's what happened with the Good Samaritan story. Oh, I got to get to this meeting. I got to get this thing. It's just like we're, we're looking past the people right in front of us. So we don't want to look back. We don't want to look down. We don't want to look too far ahead. We want to be present. So when you're, when, you know, it's like Jim Elliott said, wherever you're at, be all there. And he was talking about like cities and stuff. But I would say wherever you're at, be all there. At the gas station, be all there. The grocery store, be all there. You don't, I mean, you know, a whole town got reached because Jesus was all there at a water fountain, right? And this woman's life got changed and the whole city got changed. Just be present. Another thing I would encourage you to do is to be persistent. Keep going to the same people in the same places. Jesus lived in a relatively small area. It wasn't like, you know, um, Andrew preached for us, Andrew Haslam last Sunday, and he's thinking about London, 18,000 restaurants. It wasn't like Jesus was always in somewhere different like that. He, he was in a relatively small area. And now even in a giant city like that, there's just bunches of little towns in there. And, and you and I can pick, I, I would encourage you to suggest picking a place or a couple of places for each rhythm of your life. So you're going back again and again and again, and people are getting to see you and know you and be patient. That's another one. Be patient. I, like I said, there's, there's folks in my life that's been four years of me loving them and serving them. I mean, loving and serving. I mean, I can't even tell you some of the stories. And I get a text message. Just, they just don't even understand what's happening to them. They, they say thank you, but they don't. It's with, with a, a bunch of confusion. Like, what, what is going on? Why are you like this? It just takes time. You and I don't know how long it's going to take with people, but God does, and it's worth it. Be prepared. Come down the mountain prepared. Go into all of our life prepared. This is in-season, out-of-season stuff, right? Always knowing how to answer each person. Season with salt. This is the idea of being watchful, keeping your eyes open. You and I don't know when a trip to the grocery store is going to turn into something more than that. We were on, uh, we were on vacation a couple years ago, and um, we found a cheap little spot down in Puerto Rico, and 
It was our eighth anniversary um, and we were so excited. We went to this tiny little village in Puerto Rico and then we picked the tiniest restaurant in the tiny village in Puerto Rico, all right? And um, this tiny restaurant had one table. It was really cool. The guy would go out and get groceries and stuff during the day and fish the market. And he would come back and he would sit with you and say, here's all the stuff I've got. Here's some ideas I've got. What do you think I should make? It was crazy. Sounded beautiful, right? Uh, the table probably set, I don't know, four people. And me and Jill were two of the potential four. So we sit down at the table in Puerto Rico in this tiny little restaurant, in this tiny little village, and we start to hang out. And another couple comes in and they get set next next to us. And we're just having a little romantic eighth anniversary kind of, it was actually on our eighth anniversary. When the girl at the table leans over to me, and I kid you not, she says, excuse me, we have been dying to check out your church. Y'all, they were from our town had gone to Puerto Rico, to that village, to that restaurant, and sat at our table. And we ended up spending the entire night talking about One Harbor and Jesus and the gospel. Now, I'm going to be just straight up honest with you. That's not what I want to talk about on my eighth anniversary, right? (laughs) But I just had no idea that could happen. But God's like that. And you you and I just don't know. We've got to be prepared. We don't know when stuff like that's going to happen, right? Practice, quickly, practice. You don't get better without trying. And I'm just trying to give you just practical handles here. We had a couple guys out this last week from England and Cape Town and Joburg. And, you know, we're known for our ability to catch fish and all that. And so um, I just wanted to, you know, sort of show them a good time. And so one of our elders and a couple of our elders, actually, we jumped in a boat and we we went 26 miles offshore and um, we fished hard and we didn't catch anything, not even a bite, nothing. At one point, we jumped overboard and, you know, went spearfishing around a, a buoy floating offshore and didn't find anything there either. And, um, you know, what we didn't come back with, you know, saying is, well, I guess that means fishing is a worthless endeavor and we should sell our boats and our gear and everything else and never fish again. No, like we have a saying for this. It's, that's why they call it catching, not fishing, you know, or fishing, not catching. That's, it, you're not guaranteed to do this. You're not guaranteed to catch fish. In fact, one of the people asked us, how often do you guys do this? you know, drive 50 miles in the ocean to catch nothing. I'm like, I don't know, it kind of happens a lot, actually, if we're honest with you, you know? Now, we're called to be fishers of men. You're not always going to catch something. If you allow me to do that with that, with that illustration, you're not always going to catch something. But here's what I'll guarantee you. You don't always catch something when you're fishing, but you never catch anything sitting at home. You just don't. You're not catching any fish sitting on the couch. It's not happening. You actually have to get out there and try. That's what keeps us going fishing. That's why we keep going fishing because it's like, hey, that's where fish are. If we want to catch fish, we have to go go actually be there. Just practice. Man, are you going to, is every every waiter and waitress going to like fall to their knees and repent and the Shekinah glory is going to fill buffalo wild wings? No, but (laughs) but it's never ever going to, nothing's ever going to happen if you don't try. Lastly, pray. It's funny that we even have to say this, but I want to commend us to be as, and we're, I love that we're spirit empowered. I, I think we're such a good mixture of this, but man, we want to be both pragmatic and charismatic, right? And so I'm so thankful for how many pragmatic things we hear, and I'm so thankful for how many, I think we're, I think we're holding these tensions well, but I would encourage you to do that with this as well. This is not learn five tips and then all your friends will get saved. In fact, Stephen Jack shared brilliantly about how some of his tips have helped other churches spark 
basically revival and then back home, we're struggling to see those same things. So that, I can, that's just how it goes. That's how it goes for us too. I mean, I can apparently help all of you reach your neighbors, but I'm not very good at reaching mine. That's a hard one to swallow every day when I come home. That none of my neighbors have ever come to our church. I just keep praying. I'm gonna be pragmatic. I'm gonna serve, serve, serve. And I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna be charismatic. Church planners are just super pragmatic. I mean, books, podcasts, blogs, conferences. I mean, just tell us how to do it, right? We'll get it done. Unless the Lord builds the house, as we heard earlier this week. Man, we, we've got to, he's not telling us not to build, but man, our faith's in him. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm all for planning, strategy, contextualization. I'm like a broken record on that stuff if you've been around me, but it's not where my hope lies at the end of the day. It's not where our hope lies, right? At the end of the day, it lies in Jesus. And that's why we pray. And I want to land by just reminding us that um, there's, a, there's a lot of brokenness that we're, we're going to be encountering. I think of drug addiction and poverty and idolatry and secularism and on and on and on and on and on we could go. But then I'm just reminded of Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, the Spirit has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the Bible tells us the same Spirit is on us. It's on us. And he's ascending spirit. So he's not sitting here going, oh, please don't go down the mountain. It's so much work. This is so much easier. No, he's sending us. The spirit of Jesus is sending us. Sending us to proclaim good news to the poor that we're going to encounter back home. Sending us to proclaim liberty to those who are held captive by addiction. Sending us to proclaim that blind eyes will be opened to see Jesus for who he really is. Sending us to set at liberty the oppressed, sending us to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Coming down the mountain full of faith, not being drugged down the mountain, not with our, you know, not having gotten some case of amnesia that, oh, it's gonna be awesome down the mountain. No, it's gonna be hard. Frankly, it's gonna be hard. No, but Jesus in his, we've seen Jesus in his glorious power, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He can do the impossible. He's God's son. He can do the impossible. He can set free the captive. He can do anything. And while we depart from being together with each other, he is with us. The one who, the one who, can, the one who, who does the work is with us. And so I want to pray for us as we, as we close. And then Rigby's going to come lead us in communion. God, I want to pray that you would help us be people who are thankful for this partnership, who don't take this for granted. And let's not be like the, the Hebrews. Uh, who, who, he said, you know, some have forsaken this meeting together. They have stopped this prioritizing this meeting together. God, help us to ascend the mountain together. Help us to prioritize these things and to be thankful. Help us to remember when we were ourselves alone, where we felt isolated, where we felt like, who is it that could, we could be partnered with? And we'd look around and we just... We're so blown away by how good you are to put us together. God, thank you. Help us be thankful for that. But God, help us to see that you want us coming back down the mountain 
And you want us to come with faith and with our eyes wide open as you want to do impossible things in the lives of people who desperately need you. Help us go in the power of your spirit who sends us the way the spirit sent you so that the broken and the poor and the captive and the needy and the blind and the hurting, those who right now feel like this dad, who could help my helpless situation? Who could set me free? Thank you, Jesus. You are the answer to every problem that that awaits us in the towns and in our churches and our cities. You are the answer to every single problem. And so we, with faith in you, come down the mountain together and we spread out as it were, but we know that one day we will all be brought back together. But until then, we're down the mountain full of faith, eyes wide open, trusting in you. And we look forward to being together again. We love being together. But together again, we're not going to talk about how we spent the last however many months and sitting around just waiting with our twiddling our thumbs. No, we come back with more stories. Next time we come back, there'll be more church plants. There'll be more salvations. There'll be more people being called into leadership and eldership. And that's just, it's going to keep happening as we come out with faith and trust in you and love you, Jesus. Be with us now, Lord. Amen.